0: Psalm 78 verses one through eight. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parable. I will utter dark sayings from old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We're so thankful that you gave us your word. It truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And Lord, we pray this morning that as your servant Paul delivers a message that your Holy Spirit has placed upon his heart. I pray, Lord, that our minds, our eyes, our ears, and our hearts would be attentive, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would erase from us our troubles and burdens this morning, Lord, as we come to learn. And I pray that we Would learn things that we could take from here and apply them to our lives as we worship you outside this building, Lord, that we could glorify you that way and that many would learn to know you. And we thank you for these things. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
1: Good morning. Today we're continuing our series called Family Matters. Uh, How is it that you want to be remembered? How will uh, your children remember you, or your grandchildren, or your great-grandchildren? What kind of legacy is it that you want to leave to the next generation? Maybe you have some plans that Uh, you're going to leave a financial legacy. Uh, Maybe you you have an antique that was passed on to you that that you'll pass on, or maybe a piece of jewelry. Maybe you have pictures or journals or or stories of your family's history that are going to go to your children. What is it that you want your legacy to be? The word legacy means something that is handed down or received from an ancestor. A person's legacy is is how we remember them. Part of my family's legacy is that my great-great-grandfather was a pastor in Armenia. There'll be a a picture up on the screen. Uh, His name was Abraham Hartunian, and uh, he and his family, uh, including my great Grandmother, who uh, is the, the girl on the left, uh, they escaped the Armenian genocide and fled to the United States, uh, coming in through Ellis Island in 1922. This picture is actually a picture of them uh, the day before they got off the boat uh, to come to the United States. Uh, my great-great-grandfather, uh, He kept memoirs that were later translated uh, into English and put together in a book by his son, Vartan. He's the little guy in the front. Uh, The book is titled, Neither to Laugh Nor to Weep. Uh, And this story tells our family's history back into the 1800s, and it tells of their escape uh, from the genocide. Uh, And in the book, uh, he tells of all of their uh, trials uh, during the genocide. uh, The death of so many family and loved ones and friends. The loss of uh, their home and their church and their possessions. Tells of time that he spent in prison. Times he was beaten and stabbed and left for dead. Uh, serious illness and separation from his family and friends, not knowing what was gonna happen. And yet, through the book, he talks over and over again about how faithful God was to him. This book, along with uh, memories that I have of of my great-grandmother and stories that have been, been passed on are part of the legacy that I have. And God's faithfulness to my family is part of the reason I stand here today. In Psalm 78, the author challenges us to consider the type of legacy that we leave to the next generation. Our focus today is going to be the the first eight verses of the Psalm that uh, we just heard read. And in those verses, we see that God's plan is that in every family, there is a never-ending legacy of discipleship. Or more simply put, God's plan is that each generation would tell the next generation about him. So let's dig into this psalm. The first two verses, the the psalmist says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. The psalmist is basically saying, listen up. I have something important to say. Incline your ear, meaning lean in to his words. He says he's gonna speak in a parable or parable a dark saying, and that's just a, a poetic way of saying he's about to tell a story. And this story that he's gonna tell is the history or the legacy of the nation of Israel. Israel. And this story is found in the rest of this psalm in verses 9 through 72. And through these verses, he's going to tell of how God brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. How he parted the Red Sea. How he provided for them in the wilderness, giving them food and water. How he brought them eventually into the promised land. And in these verses, in this story, the psalmist is going to highlight two things for us. The first thing is that despite all that God had done, the Israelites continued to grumble and complain and doubt and rebel against God. And we're not going to read through the rest of the psalm. I'd encourage you to to do that later. But let me just point out a, a few verses that highlight this for us. Uh, Verses 10 and 11, speaking of the Israelites, it says they did not keep God's covenant but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. Skip down to verse 40. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe. And then the second thing that the psalmist points out in this section is God's faithfulness despite the people's failure. Look at verse 38 and 39. Yet he, yet God being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity. And did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh. A wind that passes and comes not again so if you read through the rest of this psalm, this is what you're going to see over and over again. The people rebel, they doubt God, they, they worship other gods, and God continues to sustain them. He continues to perform wonders and signs. He continues to be patient with them and save them from trouble and remain faithful to them. So this is the, the legacy of the people of Israel. Despite their failure, God remained faithful. Now, back to our text. This is the story. This is the legacy. These are the things that the psalmist says in verse 3 that he had heard and known about God, that he got from his father, and then he will in turn pass on to his children. He says he will tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. Like Israel, we have a story. We have a personal legacy of God's faithfulness to us, that despite our sin and our failure, and even though we we struggle and we have doubts and fears and failures, God has been faithful. And we cannot hide this truth from our children. So God's design is that each generation would pass his truth and their personal story on to the next generation, that godly fathers and mothers would tell their children about their great God who saved them from their slavery to sin, their great God who continues to work wonders and miracles in their life. And then those children would tell their children who would tell their children from generation to generation. Sounds easy, right? (laughs) But you know what? We struggle with that. It's easy to to say we'll do that and to have good intentions to do that. But sometimes we we lack the motivation. We lack the... um, just wisdom to know how to do that best. But that courage at times to know what to say. It's a struggle. So in the time we have left, I'd like to mention four points about a legacy of discipleship that are drawn out from this passage in Psalm 78. And I believe they're, they're meant to both challenge us and encourage us. Uh, first point. This psalm, as we said, is, uh, is specifically calling parents to pass on God's truth to their children, meaning that as a parent, the legacy of discipleship begins with you. Now, that's a, a fairly simple point, uh, but it has some serious implications for us. The first thing it means is that as a parent, you need to be prepared and able To disciple your children in order to be a disciple maker of the next generation you first have to be a disciple yourself you can't lead your children beyond your own level of knowledge say you want to teach your kids how to swim but you don't know how to swim that's not going to go very well. There's going to be sputtering and coughing and drowning. You're going to have trouble with that. And the same is true for us spiritually. We can't lead our children beyond our own level of discipleship. Now, hearing that, you may feel like, oh, I'm just, I'm not well prepared to lead my children anywhere spiritually. And that's okay but it's not okay to stay there. And so what step can you take this week or this month to be growing as a disciple? Maybe it's, it's simply just a commitment uh, to read your Bible regularly. Maybe it's taking Christianity Explored so you can uh, brush up on the basics. Maybe for you it's, it's jumping in a discipleship group Uh, so you are are growing. Maybe it's getting a book and reading it with your spouse. Maybe it's making a commitment to be part of the parent youth ministry so you are encouraged and growing and equipped. I don't know what step is best for you in your situation, uh, but I know there are all ways that we can be growing to be better prepared to lead our families. The second implication of this point is that our children usually won't rise higher than our level of commitment. Meaning that as you train your children, as you teach your children, if you're not very, um, you're not gonna be very effective if you're not serious about your own Christianity, about your own faith. Let me just give you a, a few examples. If you're not growing as a christian if you're not spending time studying the bible and and growing in prayerfulness it's going to be pretty hard to take your kids anywhere spiritually if your christianity is sunday only you you show up and and that's really all your commitment is then you're training your children to be sunday only christians If the attitude you regularly have is one of just grumbling and complaining through life, then you're training your children to live a life of joyless grumbling. If your commitment as a member of this local church is really not that big a deal, it's just a paper you sign every couple years, then you're training your children to have a low view of the local church. We won't be able to disciple our kids if if God's word and God's truth has not already affected our own hearts. What your life models, your children will follow. Uh, There's a book called Intentional Parenting written by a man named Tad Thompson, Uh, I would encourage you to read it. It's it's small, uh, very accessible, and just encouragement to you as a parent. I think we have it in the bookstore. But he says this in his book. Family discipleship is ultimately a commitment to be a disciple yourself. You can't teach your children what you don't know, and you can't model for your children what you're unwilling to do. And so parents, let's... Let's take those words seriously. Let's take steps that are good to prepare and let's consider how we are modeling our faith to our children. The third implication of this legacy of discipleship beginning with you is that it begins with you regardless of what your past is. Your past is not an excuse. You may feel like you know, you've messed up so bad that your children just aren't going to listen. My wife was, was sharing with me the other night just the point of sometimes as parents, we, we just get so discouraged and so shot down that we, we kind of just disengage and go through the motions in our parenting. Don't let what has happened in the past keep you from moving forward. Because God has dealt with our past. He has broken the power of sin on the cross. He redeems our sin and our failures and our mistakes and he uses them. He works in them for our good and ultimately for his glory. That's not to say we may not have to ask for forgiveness when we mess up or, or try to make things right. But whatever sense of, of hopelessness or, or failure you have as a parent, let that push you to rely on God's grace because he is, he is ready and he is willing and he is able to help you in whatever situation you are in as a parent. Maybe in your family, there's really no legacy of discipleship. Maybe when you think back about growing up, you say, I wasn't taught any of these truths about God. Some of you here are, are the first Christians in your family. And that's okay. In fact, that's, that's great. Start building that legacy now. Let your life be the first chapter in a long legacy of faith that is passed down through the generations. And just because you don't have children at home, maybe they've moved out or maybe you don't have children, we need to remember that all of our life decisions have an impact. Even though there's no children in your home, others are still watching your choices. They're seeing how you model and live out your faith. And if your children are grown and out of the house, your relationship with them should be one where you are lovingly and prayerfully encouraging them to follow Jesus in whatever way seems best in that relationship. As some of you have have grown children who are not following the Lord, but you're impacting your grandchildren You're bringing them to church. And when they're at your house, you're teaching them the Bible. And that is is awesome to see that happening in our church, that you are leaving a legacy to your grandchildren. So a legacy of discipleship begins with you. The second point, a legacy of discipleship is a commitment to teaching. Verse 5. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. This this command echoes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 which we heard a few weeks ago. We hear these words uh, in Deuteronomy 6 verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And this same expectation continues through scripture and into the New Testament. In Ephesians 6 verse 4 we read, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. The biblical expectation is for parents to teach their children about God. What is it we're to teach them? That's a pretty big subject, God. We teach them the Bible. We teach them this book. Because this book is about God. And God is who they need to know. They need to know how great God is. They need to know how big God is. They need to know how strong God is. And they need to know what God has done for them. This is what we see in verse 4. We will tell them the, the glorious deeds of the Lord, of his might, and the wonders that he has done. But we don't want to just teach them stuff about God. We want to teach them about God in such a way that the result is what we see in verse 7. We teach them in such a way that they would set their hope in God. It's not just about head knowledge, about what they know, but it's about where their heart is anchored. To set our hope In God means that we have faith and Jesus Christ is the object of that faith. We put our faith in him as the one who has paid for our sin and restored our relationship with God. So when life gets hard, Jesus is where our hope is anchored. When life overflows with abundance, Jesus is where our hope is anchored. We live our life with Jesus as our greatest treasure. And we raise our children to see that Jesus is their greatest treasure, that all of their hope is in him. That's the what that we are to teach. Now the how is really two ways that we teach our children. The first is is planned or actively teaching them. The, The planned time for when you as a parent will intentionally teach your children God's word. You need to have a plan for when this will happen and what this will look like. In our house, uh, bedtime works best. That's when we study the Bible with our kids and, and pray together. And if for some reason uh, we forget or we're just kind of feeling a little tired and want to just get them in the bed, uh, that doesn't fly. The kids remind us we didn't read. For your family, maybe dinner time works, maybe, maybe breakfast. It may vary as your children grow. Um, but the question is when is it going to happen? And what is it going to look like? And how will you protect that time so nothing else pushes it out? Because it's important. The second type of teaching is basically all the other times. It's unplanned or reactive teaching. It's how we respond and guide our children through all of the situations of their life. Life happens, good things, bad things. And our goal as parents should be to direct all that happens in our families to God and to the truth of his word. Everyday moments should be transformed into teaching moments. I'll just give a few examples. Last week, Kyle preached on discipline. And we learn that discipline is, is not just correcting behavior. It's not just getting our kids to act right in public. Each discipline moment is a discipleship moment. In those times when we're dealing with the sin of our children, they're wonderful times to, to talk through the truth of God's word. To talk through holiness and right and wrong and what God's standards are. To talk about the gospel that Jesus paid for that sin on the cross. To talk about forgiveness. To talk about help from the Holy Spirit. When we're in nature, when we see a a, a sunset or a flower, it all all points to God. Especially with with young children, we're helping to develop a, a biblical worldview that they see God as the creator and the sustainer of all of life. When our kids are in school, there's tons of opportunities there. Dealing with friendships, how we love our enemies, building character, working on truthfulness. I haven't gotten here yet, but the teenage years, they're coming. Navigating technology, dealing with temptation, talking about plans for the future the who, what, when, how, and what of dating when you're in your 30s. That's what I tell my girls. But every moment is a moment where discipleship is possible. Driving in the car, shopping, walking in the neighborhood, seize all these moments and use them to teach God's truth to your children. A legacy of discipleship is a commitment to teaching in the, the planned and the unplanned moments. And the, the psalmist, he warns us not to neglect this. He says, don't, don't hide these things from your children by failing to teach them. So we need to consider the potential for what can happen in a generation. And perhaps what is one of the the more sad and sobering passages in the Bible, we actually have a picture of what can happen in one generation. This is found in uh, the book of Judges, chapter 2. Now the context of Judges 2 is that the Israelites are now in the Promised Land? They've uh, been brought out of slavery in, in Egypt. God has taken them through the wilderness, and now through Joshua's leadership, they are now in the Promised Land. And we read this in Judges two, chap, uh, Judges chapter two, verse seven. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. Skip down to verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. All that God had done, all of the plagues to deliver the people from Egypt, all of the miracles in the wilderness, all of the battles won, bringing them to the promised land. How do we go from people serving the Lord all of the days of Joshua to an entire generation that didn't even know who God was? It was the silence of parents from one generation that created Judges 2.10 for the next generation. That should sober us. And only one generation can go from everyone serving and knowing God to no one knowing who he is. In Alaska... There is what some news articles have described as a linguistic emergency. Didn't know one of those could exist, but it's happening. Uh, The Associated Press reports that Alaska has 20 officially recognized native languages, and each of them has seen a decline in the number of speakers over the past few decades. A report by the Alaska Native Language Preservation and Advisory Council states that if current rates of decline were to continue, as they have been since the 1970s, all Alaskan native languages may lose their last fluent speaker by the end of the 21st century. So the question is, why are all these native languages in decline and threaten to be extinct soon? Well, really, there's one simple reason. They have not been passed on to the next generation. And what is not passed on declines. What we are silent about will not be important to the next generation. Our silence teaches and our spiritual silence risks a spiritual emergency for the next generation. It risks Judges 2.10 being our family's legacy. So let's consider that. And let's make Psalm 78 our rallying cry and the focus of how we approach our families. That we will not hide these truths from our children but we will tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Third point. If we look at all of the key passages in the Bible that talk about family discipleship, they all share something in common with our passage today in Psalm 78 and that is that a legacy of discipleship rests on the shoulders of every father almost every time God talks about his truth being passed on to the next generation he expects that dads will lead the charge in making that happen now fathers have a lot that are resting on their shoulders we work to pay the bills. We lead and love our wife. We fix the toilet when it's leaking. We change the oil in the car. But our greatest responsibility besides loving God and loving our wife is the discipleship of our children. Now guys, I know the struggle with this. I know that this is, this is hard at times. And I know how easy it is to neglect this responsibility and not do it very well. I know what it's like to feel like you got a lot of things on your plate and a lot of things on your mind. I know what it's like to to come home from a a long day at work and just want to relax and kick back and, and unwind and be tempted to just disconnect from the family. But guys, we need to resist that temptation. We need to to press in and lead our children well. In my growth group, we often talk about uh, how the things that we are reading, the things that we are studying, uh, apply to our parenting. And when I share struggles with the guys in my group, and they share struggles with me, what, what usually happens is we find out we're struggling with the same issues. As we kind of commiserate together and then uh, we try to encourage one another and speak into one another's lives. And and that's so helpful because as a father, I don't feel isolated in my struggles. I know that there's other guys dealing with the same thing and we're, we're walking together. We're growing together. And so men, you're, you're only alone in your struggles as a parent if you isolate yourself from the community God has given to help and encourage you. And one of the things that has really encouraged me in our church in the past few years is that so many of you fathers are leading your homes well hearing story after story of, of ways that you're teaching and and training your children. Not not perfectly, but but working at it. At this Months past uh, parent youth ministry night, our main night, uh, one of the dads was just sharing uh, with the other parents how he was just he was being convinced of this need to disciple his children. He started just to read some books that they had grabbed from the bookstore together uh, with his kids, and he was just encouraging the other parents with that. So, men, let's, let's take this role seriously and let's encourage one another. In it. And finally, uh, a legacy of discipleship focuses on the present, but it aims for the future. As parents, our focus is our children. They are our responsibility, the ones God has called us to, to train and disciple. But in verse 6 of our psalm, We're given a vision that's bigger than just our children. Verse 6 is that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. The picture here is that we're to parent our children with our grandchildren and great-grandchildren in view. While our focus is our children, our aim is for the future. And we're to, to lead our children in such a way that they get God and then their children get God and then their children get God and this legacy of discipleship is passed on and on and on for generations. I was telling my small group this week that I have been uh, rereading my great-great-grandfather's book uh, this past week and I've, I've read it a few times before uh, but this time two things really uh, stuck out to me one was was just the immense suffering that he experienced in his life but the second was that every time in the book that he talks about a hardship that he was going through or his family was going through uh, prayer was always mentioned Every time he had something hard that was happening, he stopped to pray, or there was someone praying for the situation. One time, when he had first entered college before the genocide really started, uh, he had a severe problem with his eyes, this terrible, terrible pain in his eyes. It was so bad, he went to the, the doctor, and the doctor said, there, there's no hope for your eyes you 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 have to drop out of school and he he knew at least he had a sense that that God had called him to go to school and eventually to seminary and so he he went that home home that night and he he prayed and he said God I, I feel like you've called me to this and so if this is your will my my eyes are in your hands and the next day he woke up and his eyes were better there was another time, I think it was later in seminary, when he was seriously ill. And they had him, uh, I think, in the infirmary. And the doctor came and, uh, you know, was working with him. And, and he finally came and he said, he said, you'll be dead in three hours. And so the, the doctor left and uh, the janitor was actually there watching him. And the janitor went down into the basement and brought up a casket and laid it on the outside of his door. It's actually a a rather funny account because he writes of how the janitor, as time went on through the night, was just getting angrier and angrier that he wasn't dying because he wanted to go home and, and eat dinner. And so finally, after three hours, he's still alive, four hours, five hours, and the janitor finally leaves. And within a few days, he was better. And that doctor had left that room and he had spread the news uh, through the school and all the students were praying for him to get better and God healed him. There's another time in the book when he's about to be deported to a concentration camp the next day. And he writes these simple words about the next morning. He said, I arose very early. I prayed. And then he goes on to tell about leaving his family and being deported. Over and over and over again, when there was trouble and difficulty, he prayed. Abraham Hartunian was my great-great-grandfather, and he never knew me. Yet his legacy of faith lives on and continues to impact a generation that to him was unknown. This is the type of spiritual legacy that I want to leave to generations to come. Now, I don't know how a a message like this lands on you. I'd imagine some of you are are pretty aware of of failure, things that you could have done better, imperfections in your parenting. Uh, We don't have to hide those things. Despite all those things, God still loves us. He sent Jesus to die for our failures, to die for our sin and in our place. God redeems our mistakes. We can thank him for that. And we can ask him to work in our families. God has the power to change your home because he has the power to change you. Ultimately, you're not writing your legacy. God is. Your story is His story, and your legacy is His legacy. Let's pray. Our Father, how we thank you for the truth of your word. We ask that what we heard today, you would press upon our hearts and minds. I ask for parents today who are, who are weary and discouraged, that they would be filled with fresh joy and encouragement from the truth of your word, that you would spur them on in the task that you have called them to. And we ask, Father, that in your grace, you would enable us to leave a legacy in our families that would continue for generations and generations until you return. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.